0: Hi, I'm David Zichterman, the pastor of Emden CRC. Today's message comes from Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and Lord's Day 42, dealing with the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment says, You shall not steal. Now, Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, says, This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat, skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. And Lord's Day 42 from the Heidelberg Catechism says this. What does God forbid in the eight, in the 8th commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight theft also includes cheating, and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. Cadets, for those who don't know, is the Christian Reformed version of Boy Scouts. At a typical cadet meeting, we would have a time of devotions, work on merit badges, and then play games. Most of those meetings blur together at this point, but I still remember while we were playing games at one meeting, one of the counselors took me aside, put a finger in my face and told me, son, one thing you will discover as you grow older is that there is never enough money. To this day, I have no idea why he pulled me aside to tell me that. Perhaps he observed some hidden greed within my elementary innocence. Perhaps greed had gotten the better of him and he needed to warn someone else of it. Regardless, what he said continues to strike me as a fairly accurate statement and a continual warning to watch out for greed. Whether you are rich or poor, the desire for more is hard to get rid of. It's an appetite that is hard to satisfy. Greed explains Rebecca DeYoung in her book Glittering Vices is an excessive love of or desire for money or any possession money can buy. Greed is expressed in the anxious restlessness we feel until we can acquire something and the consumer's conviction that acquisition will quiet that feeling. Greed, in short, is the root behind all that is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. Where greed abounds, the Eighth Commandment is being violated. As the root, greed sometimes grows and enables a person to commit outright theft and robbery. But more often, greed enables us to steal through more subtle and sneaky ways. In a painting, Tipping the Scales by Leslie Thrasher, a woman is buying a turkey for Thanksgiving. A turkey is being weighed on a scale. On one side of the scale is a woman, perhaps in her 60s, looking kind and respectful. On the other side of the scale is the butcher, a jolly-looking old man with glasses perched on his nose. They both look pleasant, yet a closer look at the scales reveal their deception. The woman has her finger under the scale, trying to make the turkey weigh less. The butcher has a finger on top of the scale, gently pressing down, trying to make the turkey weigh more. Both the woman and the butcher would probably consider themselves upright citizens and not thieves. Yet, by their attempted trickery, they both were breaking the Eighth Commandment. Stealing doesn't just include pickpocketing, but, as the Catechism reminds us, in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, and excessive interest. These kinds of deceptions and cunnings are the branches that grow from the root of greed. Not only are the deceptions wrong, they also hurt our neighbor. To quote again from Rebecca DeYoung's book, Glittering Vices, Greed does not just feed our wants. However, it tramples other needs. It is also behind the fantasies and desires that move us to rationalize lifestyles in which we regularly and programmatically take more than we need or more than our share, regardless of injury to others. When greed is rampant, when the Eighth Commandment is broken willingly and regularly, it is more often than not the vulnerable who are hurt the most. When the Eighth Commandment is broken, when greed flows, the vulnerable are viewed not as persons to care for, but suckers to be taken advantage of. That is what happened in ancient Israel during the time of Amos. Amos was a humble farmer from Tekoa. During Amos' ministry, God gave him a vision of a basket full of ripe fruit. Compared with the rest of the book, this vision was probably viewed with some relief. A reprieve from the constant visions of judgment he had to pronounce. The first vision he received from God was of a swarm of locusts that signified a coming famine. His next vision was of a great consuming fire that destroyed everything in its path. His third vision was of a plumb line that equated Israel with a sagging wall that would need to be torn down. These visions all promised destruction. But a fruit basket is different. What could possibly be bad about a fruit basket? If Amos breathed a sigh of relief, though, it was short-lived. The basket of fruit turns out to be a symbol of destruction as well. As Hermann Veldkamp explains, the similarity between the summer fruit and the people of Israel is that both were ripe. The fruit in the basket was ripe and ready to eat, while Israel was ripe for judgment. It was too late to escape. As the Lord said to Amos, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Why was God so angry and threatening this judgment? Because his people had become swindlers and cheats. On the outside, everything appeared all right. The Sabbath was being kept faithfully. Offerings were being brought regularly. Songs were sung joyfully. But on the inside, they were rotten, ripe for judgment. Amos reveals the inner workings of their minds. They were thinking, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Though outwardly, they were keeping the Sabbath faithfully, joining in the prayers and songs. Inwardly, they desired not God, but gold. While the preacher preached, they daydreamed about commodity prices. While they sang songs, they invented ways to maximize profit. While their lips sang, to God be the glory, their minds thought, to gold be the glory. Not only were they preoccupied with gold, but with greed in their hearts, they devised clever means to steal. They waited eagerly for the moment when they would be able to skimp the measure and boost the price and cheat with dishonest scales. They wanted to tip the scales in their favor just like in the painting described earlier. But the deceptions and plotting went even further. They planned to buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Greed left unchecked, allowed them to view people not as persons made in the image of God but as objects to be bought and sold. Their disrespect of the Eighth Commandment corrupted their ability to see humans as humans. Greed, left unchecked, and a complete disregard for the Eighth Commandment enabled Christians for centuries to buy and sell people from Africa as if they were mere objects. It is one of the greatest failures of the church to not only allow but even enable the slave trade several hundred years ago. As Joy Davidman says, Alas, there were other ministers who spoke on behalf of slavery. Have all the reasons of all the atheists ever harmed a church one-tenth as much as its own occasional readiness to serve as a den of thieves? Greed left unchecked blinds us to the humanity in each person. Thankfully, slavery is a thing of the past, but using and abusing people for their money continues to be an issue. And often in subtle and sneaky ways, greed continues to tempt us to ignore the humanity in each and every person, and rather to use them for our gain. The novel Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry tells the story of how this can happen today. After Hannah's husband died, an acquaintance came to visit her. When Hannah saw Kelly, she knew immediately why he had come to visit her. Kelly was in the real estate business. He was a developer, always looking for new land to acquire and sell to the highest bidder. He was like a vulture looking for distressed property to steal through cunning and conniving. When Kelly learned Hannah's husband had died, he imagined Hannah would soon want to move to be near her children. He smelled an opportunity. To him, Hannah was hardly a person, just a means to more property. Hannah, though, graciously invited him into her house anyway and showed hospitality. She served him coffee and they exchanged small talk. When the small talk had ended, Kelly made his move. Well. I just imagine you maybe might be moving down to Louisville to live with your daughter one of these days." Hannah replied calmly, no. Well, surely, Kelly continued, you aren't thinking of living on here by yourself. I am thinking of living right on, right here, Hannah replied. Realizing this avenue was a dead end, Kelly tried a different route. You have a nice place here, Hannah, Kelly continued. A lovely place. Have you given any thought to the final disposition of it? Hannah replied, yes. I am giving some thought to putting it into a land trust to keep it from ever being developed. Discovering Hannah would not be easily persuaded, Kelly quickly finished his cup of coffee and excused himself. Kelly attempted to steal Hannah's property through deception and flattery. Hannah really wasn't treated as a person. Kelly never cared about Hannah or her wishes. He only wanted to use her to get what he wanted. Kelly broke the Eighth Commandment. But isn't there a little bit of Kelly in each of us? A temptation to use people to get what we want? A desire to manipulate to get what we desire? There is also a little thief in all of us. There's something that gnaws in our hearts that says, there just is not enough money. If only I had a little more money or land or possessions or the right possessions, then I would be all right. How can I get just a small slice of the good stuff my neighbor seems to have in abundance? That greed, which we must battle our entire lives, lest it grow in the tree and branches of scheming and swindling and outright theft, reminds us most of all that we need God's grace and mercy, his forgiveness and redemption. As Philip Riken explains in his book, *Written in Stone, The Ten Commandments in Today's Moral Crisis, the gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to give salvation to everyone who believes in him. Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners, specifically in the place of thieves. The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, thus fulfilling the prophecy that the Savior would be numbered with the transgressors. In his crucifixion, Jesus was considered a thief. It is a well-known fact that Christ was crucified between two thieves. But as far as God's justice was concerned, there were really three thieves on the cross that day, two who died for their own crimes, and one who took upon himself our sins. This is a great comfort to everyone who has ever broken the Eighth Commandment. When Christ died on the cross, he died for thieves, so that every thief who trusts in him will be saved. The first thief to be saved was the one hanging next to him on the cross, the one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus gave him the answer he gives to every lawbreaker who turns to him in repentance and faith. You will be with me in paradise. Jesus redeems the little thief in all of us and gives us his Holy Spirit so that we may not only avoid stealing, scheming, and trickery, but also care for our neighbor. As the Catechism reminds us, the Eighth Commandment doesn't only forbid the shoots that grow from the root of greed, all those various forms of stealing. It also requires something of us. It requires that we do whatever we can for our neighbor's good, which is another way of saying humility, that we treat others as we would like them to treat us, which is another way of saying fairness and that we work faithfully so that we may share with those in need, which is another way of saying being industrious and generous. What the Catechism says in so many words are three virtues that we need to practice so that we may keep the Eighth Commandment. As we practice these virtues, humility, fairness, and industriousness mixed with generosity, They shape our character and make us more like Christ. Humility is the virtue that makes us do whatever we can for our neighbor's good. And who is our neighbor? To this question, Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan. Only the Samaritan stopped to help the man beaten by robbers and left for dead. The Samaritan was a neighbor. Jesus concluded his parable by saying, go and do likewise. In other words, be a good neighbor. The Eighth Commandment requires that we care for our neighbor's well-being. Fairness is the virtue that makes us treat others as we would like them to treat us. This is Jesus' golden rule from his Sermon on the Mount. It's about treating people with basic decency and kindness. Which of you, Jesus says, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Finally, the virtues of industriousness and generosity makes us work faithfully so that we may share with those in need. This is the famous Protestant work ethic that we are supposed to be known for. But not to enrich ourselves, but to enrich others. Working hard is good, but only when it is done first and foremost to enrich the lives of others through generosity. Jesus died on the cross as a condemned thief, to forgive the thief in all of us. As forgiven thieves, let us pursue humility, fairness, and industriousness mixed with generosity, so that we may live according to the eighth commandment. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the sources I used for this sermon, be sure to check out the episode notes.